Welcome in, welcome aboard, a show to be named later, we're back. It is August 2nd, 2018, Seth Goldberg with you. We'll get to a couple things here, we'll talk some SU football coming up later. We'll hear from Jamal Custis, SU wide receiver, coming up later in the podcast. We'll get to all that. But those are secondary stories today. I got to start with a story that is is weird. It's it's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be uncomfortable, and that is Urban Meyer. We'll get to that here on a show to be named later. Let's start there. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. When you think of him, you think of greatness. You think of a college football coach that wins and does nothing but wins. You think of a college football coach who has built great programs everywhere he's been. He's had success at Bowling Green, at Utah, at Florida, at Ohio State. He's been successful everywhere. And it feels like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm overthinking this, and and it certainly wasn't the feeling I got initially when I you know heard the, the reporting on Wednesday from Brett McMurphy. But I have the feeling now, and and this quickly changed from my my viewpoint yesterday, where Urban Meyer's gone. Urban Meyer's coached his last game at Ohio State. And I don't think I grasped that right away. Right right away, I thought he he would ride this out. And then, you know, even over the course of just a couple hours, you you kind of realize, no, he won't. He won't make it through this. And as terrible and disgusting and despicable as the actual acts, as the actual domestic violence that that coach, you know, had and, and, and hitting his wife and, and everything else that has been reported, as terrible and as disgusting as that is, that's not even what's going to do in Urban Meyer, right? Because you can have that guy. You can fire that guy. And you can keep your job if you're Urban Meyer. You have that guy on your staff. You fire him when you find out, and this isn't a problem. You have that guy on your staff. You fire him three years after the fact. And you at least admit, hey, you know, I knew about it in 2015. I didn't do anything. I thought I was doing the best that I could to help them. I thought I was helping out this couple. I thought I was making it better. I thought I was, you know, being supportive of the two of them. But circumstances change. And obviously three years later, I could see that's not right. Three years later, I could see that's not the case. Three years later, this environment we're living in is very different. And so I made the decision now that I had to move on. I think you can almost even get away with that. I really do, especially a coach of his stature. But now, now I don't think you can. Not after what he said at Big Ten Media Days when asked. When asked and he denied knowledge of this act in 2015. When he said these claims were made up. When he swatted back at reporters asking him about it just weeks ago. There is no coming back from this. There is no coming back from this. 
And the amazing thing to me, the amazing thing coming out of this, is when will coaches learn? When will coaches learn that you simply can't do this? You cannot outrun something. How many times, in sports and otherwise, how many times have we seen where the cover-up is worse than the crime? Now, the crimes here are terrible. The crimes here are disgusting. Not necessarily the crimes that Urban Meyer did. Let's, you know, acknowledge that. But the crimes here by a member of his coaching staff are disgusting. But at the same time, had Urban Meyer just taken care of business, whether that be three months ago, three years ago, three weeks ago, and fired him and owned up to it, he's probably okay. He's probably safe. Probably. But instead, he had to cover his back. He had to cover himself. He had to pretend like this didn't happen. Pretend he had no idea. How many times have we seen that that becomes a bigger problem? Penn State. If Joe Paterno knows, if Joe Paterno does something, if if something happens in 1999-2000, then Paterno is coaching for as long as he wants. How many examples do you need? How many examples of this do people need before they realize that if you just come out and admit something, you might be better off? And it it, it leads to another discussion. It leads to a larger discussion here. This discussion of college coaches on college campuses, in college towns. And the position that we put them in. Think about some of these coaches. Think about some of these scandals. Whether it is Joe Paterno or Bobby Knight when he you know, had his problems at Indiana. Woody Hayes when he hit a kid on the field at Ohio State. And we're grasping to them. We don't want to fire them. You can't fire Joe Paterno. How can you get rid of him? People screamed. You see it to a lesser extent down in Waco with Art Bryles. And he's got his loyalists. He still has his loyalists. It really speaks to the pedestal that we put college coaches on. More so than any other coaches, more so than any other profession, more so than anything else. If you can deliver a winner, we don't care what else happens. We don't care what transgressions you might have. We don't care what skeletons might be in the closet. As long as you build us a winner... And just think about that for a second. These college towns, these college environments 
where a lot of times the football coach or the basketball coach is the most powerful person there is. Whether that's Joe Paterno at Penn State. Somebody like Mac Brown. Not that he did anything wrong, but just an example. You think Mac Brown was the man in Austin? You think Coach K and Roy Williams are the man in Durham? Chapel Hill? You bet they are. We put these guys on pedestals. We see it here. You'd be lying if you didn't think that Jim Beheim was on a pedestal here, right? But we've seen time and again that when you do this, when you get into this situation, you get yourself in trouble. You end up disappointed in that guy, in that coach that you made an idol, that you made bigger than the rest of campus, that you made bigger than the rest of the city, than the rest of the town. It's happened too often, the latest being Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is the man at Ohio State. He took over a program that was on probation. He took over a program that was coming off NCAA sanctions. And he guided them to a national championship. Quickly built them back up into a winner. He is the man. And now he's going to be brought down. He might not be brought down because of the original acts. Because of the original domestic violence. By one of his coaches. No, that's not what he's going to be brought down by. He's going to be brought down by lying. He's going to be brought down because of the cover-up. And I'm amazed that somebody like Urban Meyer, somebody who is at the top of his field, somebody who comes off as a genuine person and, and... you know, you see as, you know, this guy who's leading young men, molding minds and all the crap that universities want to feed us about coaches. Urban Meyer seemed to fit that to an extent, especially in his stint at Ohio State. And it turns out that he, of all people, you would think, but it turns out that he has not learned from history, has not learned that the cover-up in so many cases, can be worse than the crime. It is for him. The crime here is disgusting. The crime here is terrible. The crime here is heinous. But for Urban Meyer, the cover-up might be worse. For Urban Meyer personally. And then we have to get to the other part of this. We have to get to Urban Meyer's past. We have to get to Urban Meyer at at Florida where he had character issue guys on that team. Where he had Aaron Hernandez on that team, who caused trouble in Gainesville. Where he repeatedly had guys suspended for drug use. That's got to come up. And there's something about Urban Meyer with giving second chances. There's something about Urban Meyer after he hires Kevin Wilson as his offensive coordinator, who got fired because he treated players poorly, because he abused his players. He hires him as his offensive coordinator just last year. 
There's something about him that he wants to give second chances to guys. And maybe that's what he saw in this case. Maybe he saw, hey, this guy, you know, young coach. I worked for his grandfather. His grandfather gave me his my start in this industry. I, I got to pay it forward. I got to keep him around. I got to do him a solid. I got to give him that second chance because that's who I am. And maybe that was Urban Meyer's thinking. But does that at some point change? Does that at some point move on? Because we've seen this flo- this program that he ran at Florida has been flawed. It won a whole bunch of games, but clearly was flawed. And now he's started to bring in some of these guys at Ohio State. Whether you think the Kevin Wilson hire about a year ago is consequential or not, it happened. And it is relatively consequential. He was fired because he treated his players poorly. That's a big deal. You have to wonder about Urban Meyer. You have to wonder about the programs that he runs. And it leads to today. It leads to the announcement yesterday that he's taking a paid leave while Ohio State gets this thing figured out. He won't be around to answer questions. He won't be around for accountability. He won't be around to lie anymore. This whole thing is amazing to me. The way it sped up, the way it blew up. And again, the fact that Urban Meyer just doesn't learn from history. The fact that Urban Meyer hasn't looked around. Hasn't looked around the country. Looked at other coaches who've gotten fired for off-the-field transgressions. Ross Dellinger of SI put together a long list on Twitter. You can check it out. But George O'Leary, Mark Price at Alabama, Mark Mangino at Kansas, Mark Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Of course, Joe Paterno, Bobby Petrino. Remember Bobby Petrino? That's a case where the cover-up is worse, right? Yeah, he's cheating on his wife. That's terrible, obviously. Yeah, he got in a bike crash short. That's terrible. He wasn't going to get fired for that. And then the lying and the affair turns out to be with a person in the office. And, you know, covering up all of this gets you fired. Tim Beckman at Illinois. Steve Sarkeesian. Art Bryles. Kevin Wilson. Hugh Freeze. Rich Rod. All of those since 2000 have gotten fired for off-the-field things. Not performance-based. How can Urban Meyer not look around the country and see that this happens? See that you got to run a clean ship. See that you shouldn't be lying about stuff like this. Urban Meyer, by the way, as this was pointed out on the Dan Lebedard show, Urban Meyer who said during the whole college basketball thing when that floated up and bubbled up, said if you lie, you're going to get fired. That's ironic. How does Urban Meyer not learn from those coaches, though? And how does Urban Meyer not learn from his own school? Think about this for a second. Again, astutely pointed out by Dan Lebitard earlier in the day on ESPN Radio. They fired Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes, the legendary of legendary coaches. Woody Hayes, the figure in Ohio State football. Fired. Because he hit a kid. Jim Tressel. 
great coach, legendary figure in his own right, fired for NCAA violations. Fired. Think about that for a second. This is a school, this is a university, this is a football program that has fired two legendary coaches already. What in the world would make you think they won't do it to a third? So Urban Meyer, I'm I'm amazed. How do you not learn from history? How do you not learn from college football? It's recent history. And how do you not learn from your own school? How do you not know that you can't conduct business this way? You can't just sit around and lie. You can't try and sweep things under the rug because they're going to come out. So, yeah, I think Urban Meyer has coached his last game at Ohio State. And I'm not sure if I thought that immediately when I saw this report come out yesterday, but my, my thinking shifted in a matter of hours. My thinking shifted completely in just a matter of hours. I think Urban Meyer's done at Ohio State. All right, let's take a break to remind you that if you missed any of our shows on ESPN Radio Syracuse, you can get caught up with our best of podcasts on the block on demand with Brent X. 30 minutes in Orange Nation. We are back on Monday, just days away. Steve and I back on Monday. Uh, we'll have Eric Dungy on the show, so check that out uh, for sure. But our podcast, 30 minutes in Orange Nation, will be up on ESPNSyracuse.com after that, as is the Daniel Baldwin Show podcast. All of them on ESPNSyracuse.com. All of them on iTunes. Subscribe. Just search ESPN Syracuse. Get them delivered straight to your phone each and every day. Look, you already know where to find podcasts. You're listening to mine right now. Uh, So just go check them out. Uh, Check out all the other podcasts that we've got available. And check out the audio vault as well on ESPNSyracuse.com. All right, now back to a show to be named later. So a little SU football talk here. We'll hear from Jamal Custis uh, coming up in just a little bit. Spoke with Jamal, uh, myself, and a couple other reporters earlier on uh, Thursday. So we'll talk with, uh, we'll hear from Jamal Custis. Uh, some interesting stuff there uh, from him playing a little bit more inside, a little bit uh, as well as playing a little bit outside receiver, uh, which he hadn't done up until you know this spring. So we focused on that, but we will talk about that with him coming up later. I'm really intrigued to see. Uh, what we get from this Syracuse football team. I've said this on podcast before, and I'll, I'll continue to say it. I'm not worried about finding a receiving option. I'm not worried about finding that guy to step up. Um, because this offense is this offense. They're going to gain four, five, six thousand yards. Right? Like those are just the yards that are out there. Look at it as a math equation. There are yards. Yes, you need to fill a certain number of yards, but there are yards out there to be had. Somebody's going to gain them. Eric Dungy is going to throw for 3,500 to 4,000 yards. That's what he's going to do. Somebody's going to catch them. Bravian Pierce, Jamal Custis. Devin Butler, Nikeem Johnson, somebody's going to catch them. I'm more interested in the defense. I'm more interested in the linebackers. I'm more interested in what this secondary looks like. I'm far more intrigued by that than the offense. 
Because you're replacing three linebackers this year. You're replacing three players who almost quite literally did not step off the field last year. If the other team had the ball, they were playing. And that is sometimes to your detriment. I would think most of the time to your detriment. Defense fell apart at the end of the year. I would say there is no uh, coincidence there that those two things are related. But I'd imagine that that unit is going to be a little bit weaker than it was last year. And Syracuse is going to need them to step up. Syracuse is going to need the defense to step up because that was the weak link last year, especially late last year. That was the weak link. So how does this defense grow? How does this defense evolve? That's the question that I'm asking, much more so than the offense. Much more so than who is going to be catching passes. I'm far more interested in who is stopping passes than who's catching passes. And with that, let's get to one of these guys who is going to be catching the passes. That is Jamal Custis. Spoke to him with a couple other reporters earlier today. Uh, We'll just play this back for you quickly here. It's about five minutes long, so check out what Jamal Custis had to say. We'll come back on the other side of it. Jamal, last year, you know, you step up and, and play a little bit of a bigger role. And I'm curious, coming into this year without Ish and without Irv around, uh, what's the mentality for you, knowing that you know there are a lot of catches out there to be made? Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, that gets me excited. Uh, having guys coming at the guys like Steve and Irv, you know, they kind of set the, the path of what you should do when you're in them positions. So, you know, me being the older guy, it's my fifth year. I played with them guys, you know, and I know how they competed. So me watching them guys last camp, last season, you know, me battling with injuries and things like that, I kind of try to come into this camp, you know, apply some of the things, the focus that they had, you know, as older guys. They had, you know, laser focus. So my first day, I just try to focus and, you know, get better on the things. It's like my fifth first day. So, you know, get better on have a better first day than I had last year. You mentioned being experienced. You mentioned that fifth year and, and having all those first days. Uh, what's it like now? I mean, can, can you believe that you're at year five already? I mean, you're at the end of the road. Yeah. And what, what, what's going through your mind when you think about that? Kind of came fast. You know, when you're younger, they always say it, but you don't really feel like it's going to come. But, you know, I'm here. This is my fifth year. So, you know, being out here, you just try to enjoy it. While enjoying it, focusing, you know, uh, like I said, it's my last year. You want to enjoy every moment of it. But being a senior and trying to be a leader of the group, you know, you got to have that focus. And, you know, you're going to have younger guys that's not going to know how to find their way around the first day. You know, try to keep encouraging guys. You know, I've I've been here before, so I just try to stay focused. Year three in this system, uh, I know Eric has talked about, you know, knowing the system and being able to teach it almost. How do you feel going into year three as, as far as, you know, understanding the system and, and feeling good about where you are? Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like it's easy. Not really saying it's easy, but, you know, once you've been doing it for three years and, and, and they, they are still in all the all the uh, techniques and all the plays in your head, it's kind of like you just flow with it. You know, you try to go out there and just not even think about it, you know. So year three, we, we did the things already. It's going to be a couple new things in, but, you know, it's, it's kind of already there. So we just try to play fast and just have fun with it. 
What differences have you seen with Eric now as opposed to last year or, or even the years prior to that, you know, when, when you were here and working with him? His focus, you know, he, he won everything that we all want, but you could see it in his face. You know, he became a bigger leader this year. He always been a leader, became a bigger, bigger leader. You know, we all got one goal. We want to make it to the postseason, you know, so I guess that's all our biggest goal. Eric, he, 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 he putting that in our heads, he beating that in our heads that, you know, we got a chance this year. We know people talking and, and, and doubting and things like that. We don't worry about that. You know, we come out here and work every day. We don't really look look out to the outside. We just come here and just work, put our heads down and work. So, you know, he became a bigger leader this year. Can you talk a little bit about your role coming in? Is there talk of you moving inside a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Coach Babers kind of wanted me to use my my height and my speed that I used outside for inside guys. You know, like linebackers get on top of linebackers; they're not as athletic and fast as me. And then using my height, you know, coming across the field, I'm a bigger target. It's easier to see me. So you know, I just try to use my speed and my height. You know, have a little advantage in the inside. Some receivers don't like coming over the middle. Mm-hmm. You don't have a problem with that? No, I don't have a problem with that. Like I said, and then the senior year, you know, I just want all the opportunities I can. You know, I think that's what he's doing for me, putting me on the inside. So, you know, I could be versatile, be able to play outside and inside, you like know. Like a lot of guys, you look bigger and stronger this year. Like a lot of the guys I noticed, is that something you worked on? Yes, sir. I knew that I was going to be in the inside. So, uh, you know, I had to prepare for that. And a lot of guys, we, we all worked on that. You know, we all wanted to be a bigger, stronger group. We got a lot of bigger receivers, so we wanted to use that to our advantage. So that's what we worked on. Is playing inside versus outside going to be a matchup thing? Or, or you know, the coach is going to look and say, hey, that linebacker or that safety, you might have a better matchup? Or is it just going to be your inside now? And, and for the most part, you're going to be playing that slot. To be honest, I really don't know. You know, they, they pitched the matchup uh, idea to me. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm guessing it's a matchup thing. You know, I don't know if I'm going to stay there or not, but I've been doing this since the spring. I've been only inside. So, you know, playing inside is like a learning, a learning experience, you know. Uh, I think the matchup is really important, you know, using my speed to get over, like I said, get over the top of the defense from the inside and crossing the field as a bigger target. So, you know, that creates matchups. So I think that's the uh, number one thing. You mentioned the postseason as a goal. Uh, it, what, what ultimately is the is the goal? I, I know you mentioned a, a postseason, a bowl game, uh, something that you know no, nobody in this program has really been around for. Uh, man, our goal is the ACC championship. You know, and of, of course, it's more than that. But you know, we try to take things one step at a time. We feel like we, you know, our schedule is set up for us to to compete against some of the best teams in the country. So, you know, we come out here and work work, work, and, and, and put them things together when we get to the game, you know. So our goal is the postseason. We want to win an ACC championship, bowl game. We want it all. So, you know, it ain't really no limit for us. All right, thanks again to Jamal Custis. That was earlier today at SU football practice. The Orange getting in their first practices of the fall. So you hear from Jamal. You hear him talk about that uh, playing inside, playing outside. I found that really interesting. Uh, because I think he's a guy who might benefit more by playing inside, and ultimately, like he he looks like a tight end, right? Like he's he's a big guy, and and maybe he's playing more of a tight end role. But uh, get him mismatches on linebackers, get him mismatches on safeties, and he might fare a lot better than he does on the outside um, against a traditional cornerback. So I think that could be a really interesting player to watch, um, a slot guy, but in a very different mold than Brisley Esteem or Irv Phillips or Sean Riley, uh, a very different kind of inside receiver than Syracuse has had. So that that could be pretty interesting to watch. 
Um, we'll hear from a couple more football players as we get closer to the start of the season now that practices are starting up again and, and are open uh, for us to go speak with some players after practice is over. We will hear from, as I mentioned earlier, we will hear from Eric Dungy on Orange Nation on Monday. We make our return, Stephen Fonte and I, back on the airwaves. So tune in Monday at noon. Steve and I will be with you. We'll have Eric Dungy with us uh, during the show as well. So make sure you're tuned in for that. That does it for us today on a show to be named later. I'll be back tomorrow with more. We'll talk to you then.